This is Kyle Cord, and you're listening to Austin, Felix, and Matt on the Debbie Debate. Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys. Are we ready to debate? Austin, you tweeted something, girl. You tweeted your running back tonight. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand. You <laughs> jumped up and... That's Austin Mace. Who is going to be that guy? And for me, Bijan Robinson is still going to be that guy. Back to the ground with Robinson, who spins and then tries to bounce it. A stiff arm, another one as he rides it, keeps his balance. They're going to say he stepped out, but I'm... I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. Screen or draw. Oh, Wilson is going to uncork for the end zone. And he drops it in beautifully. And it is his roommate, Dax Milne, on the touchdown. That's Matt Brody. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I whacked poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time it's Fields on the carry. Watch out! Justin Fields! Hello, Columbus! 51 yards! Brennan, are you ready to go head-to-head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on. Gotta continue. I forgot. Kyle McCord is going to end up winning the job. He's going to be rated higher. Um, well, I'm not nearly as passionate about what I'm about to talk about. Uh, our apologies to Kirk Street and Atlanta. Time is getting rescheduled soon. And from that booming in Austin, a, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time, the only time zone with trees. That means it's time for the Debbie Debate, brought to you by CampusCan.com. That's Matt Bruning. Austin Nace is vacationing in space, but Chris Moxley is here, and I'm Felix Sharp on a professional version of tonight's show. Are Traylon Burks and Isaiah Spiller damaged goods? Is Brees Hall the best running prospect of all time? And were we wrong overall about the 2022 draft class? But we start with the Twitter storm engulfing RA Analytics earlier this week. Before Calvin, the Calvin Ridley news, before the Russell Wilson trade, before those headlines dominated fantasy and NFL Twitter, recruiting analytics came under fire for a new set of metrics that they called intangelytics, which purported to measure an individual's quote-unquote soft skills like grit and positivity. Now, it's not exactly clear what data recruiting analytics was using to create these metrics, but it appears, uh, based on the early explanations, that uh, individual interviews were used and the responses to questions were used to create this data, and it created somewhat of a firestorm. Now, how those interviews create that data pool, that data pool uh, and therein create the metric is not actually clear because the tweets have since been deleted. But we talked about this a little bit in our founders chat, and Jarek, uh, our brilliant data analyst, mentioned uh, that that uh, he believed that this data had the, the potential to be discriminatory. 
I'm glad that we have Jarek here today. Jarek, can you elaborate? What did you mean by that? Yeah, so when I talk about that, there's basically like four main points I'd want to I'd want to touch on for that. First is the type of data. So, you know, when when it first came out, um, Chris actually mentioned in in the chat that maybe they're a tracking company, maybe it's tracking data. That could be interesting if they're trying to measure things through tracking data using that type of stuff. Um, but you know, later came out that it's actually just more so language processing information, um, and so that really changed it from you know measuring what they do to measuring what they say, which is which is quite a bit different. Um, the second point I want to touch on is there's a bunch of different cultures in the NFL, and all culture like all cultures or personality types aren't going to express something like like say leadership. Um, in the same way. Um, so can they really capture those differences reliably? Um, big question there. Um, my third point is, um, well, it's it's kind of well known that there's, there's a bunch of bias introduced into kind of this type of data. So, so currently there's a, a heavy racial connotation to some of the, the categories they're choosing to measure, grit, you know, some other things um and, and who decides what the definition of like leadership or grit are um they've been intentionally vague around their methods and and this this could introduce a large amount of bias just like what their definition is for this um and and let's just say that they controlled for all this somehow the fourth point is sample size you know Big companies that do like sentiment analysis and stuff need a massive amount of data to get anything mean, meaningful. There's like a lot of noise in there. Um, so, so are they, they're getting their data just from talking. Maybe they're also getting it from like online presence possibly. Um, but there's a lot of questions on how that data is being gathered because, because they don't talk that much I, I, publicly at least. Um, and so it's kind of like a, a, garbage in garbage out kind of situation i should mention that we interviewed Corey yates the ceo of recruiting analytics on thursday evening before this kind of firestorm on monday morning went off and you know had we known we may have asked him a little he actually talked about this potential metric um a little bit during that interview so you can touch catch that uh the story time podcast on the campus to can podcast feed jarek you know the data community was really up in arms about this for you what information would you need to assess the value of this kind of study metric whatever you want to call it well i need to know definitively what's being measured and and like how they're measuring it like also the sample size that they're using and how reliable that is, because that is very questionable at this point. Um, and then how well does it actually translate to anything on the field? Like you can you can get these data points, but do they actually mean anything? Is Does it matter? You could just be knocking someone just because they have low positivity, but does that actually mean anything? Jarek, I really thank you for your insight on this. I mean, this was all the discussion earlier this week. Um, Chris, Matt, did, did you want to weigh in at all on 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 this issue? I think what Jarek said is is pretty representative about how I feel as well. What he mentioned at the beginning is I had 
initial interest in this data because I thought it was tracking on field like body language. And if we could we could quantify body language, that's a lot more interesting than talking about um, like speech. And basically what 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 everything Jarek said about um, the nature of like language processing is inherently biased. And and so I I basically think Jarek did a really good job summarizing like what our concerns with this is. But if we can quantify some of this like tracking stuff based on, you know, some of the stuff they're doing for uh, miles per hour, then I think we have a different kind of conversation. And there's potential with this, but I share the same concerns. And I should mention here that Congress is actually looking into um, how bias and algorithms and metrics affect the public overall. I know, I mean, I've firsthand experience about this. Can't speak about it as intelligently as Jarek can, which is why I asked him to come on. Uh, always bugging Jarek to, to come on and talk about something. I, I was really happy that he decided to come on for this one. You can find Jarek at Jarek Backus on Twitter. Uh, of course, I mean, he... I think it's there's consensus that he's really the only person that matters of uh, campus to Kent. So uh, he's the only one that can't be replaced. So, Jarek, we appreciate you for joining us on that one. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. All right. All right. Let's get into some more concrete football uh, talk here, Matthew and Chris Moxley. Um, Russell Wilson traded to the Broncos. I mean, this is a Debbie show, but we get, we got to hit on some of these kind of big breaking news things. The Broncos will send quarterback Drew Locke, tight end Noah Fant, defensive lineman Shelby Harris, two first-round picks, two second-round picks, and a fifth-round pick to the uh, Seahawks. Now, my first thought on this was the Rams last year when they traded for Matthew Stafford, I thought that it would put them over the hump in the NFC. Matthew do you think that the Wilson trade will have the same effect for the Broncos in the AFC? So I got to ask you what exactly qualifies as over the hump. Are we talking about getting into the playoffs? Or are we talking about making it and winning a Super Bowl like Stafford was able to do for the Rams? Because I think it's two different things. Do I think this makes the Broncos a better team and a playoff team? 100%. I mean, we've seen them compete for the most part with Kansas City and the Chargers, who I think are two of the top-tier teams in the AFC the past two years with Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Lockett quarterback. Now you bring in a guy like Russell Wilson, I think that does help out, especially with the offensive weapons they have around them. Jerry Judy, I know they lose no offense. They're apparently very big on, I call him, King Albert, because I cannot for the life of me say his last name, but they're very big on him at tight end. You got Cortland Sutton. Javante Williams looks like he's going to be a top five, top ten running back, at least for fantasy. But do I think it puts them as like Super Bowl contenders in the AFC? I would still slot them at least fourth behind Kansas City, Buffalo, and I think you have to still put Cincinnati ahead of them because of what Burrow was able to do last year, and they're not losing much on defense. Chances are they're only going to improve their team. They just went to the Super Bowl and beat all those teams as well. So I think at best you have to put them fourth, in my opinion, in the AFC. But as we've seen before, I mean, talked about it with the Browns a couple years ago, almost beat Kansas City. Like, anything happens. Giants, whatever that was back, gets in as a wild card team, wins two Super Bowls. If you get into that tournament – Anything can happen. So I do think it gives them a better shot of winning a Super Bowl. I will say, I think Denver took a bigger risk bringing in Russell Wilson than the Rams did Stafford. I don't know exactly how old Stafford is off the top of my head, but I did look earlier that Russell Wilson is already 34. 
And I think with the way Denver is set up, I think they're almost doing the same thing as what they did the previous time and bringing Peyton Manning in as a free agent. I think they've kind of opened themselves up to like, it's another two to three year window at best to win a Super Bowl with Russell Wilson, trading away all those picks and, and the team that they have built right now. Mox, uh, Matt Bruning is putting the, the, the clock on Russell Wilson. Do you agree? Um, not necessarily. I think he's a year younger than Stafford when he was traded. So they're like at least comparable ages. Uh, Russell Wilson's game has changed so much over the course of the last like six or seven years where he went from a guy who could reliably rush a bunch to a guy who could use rushing his legs like when he needed to. He He's really adapted his game, and I think it's something that's sustainable long term. So I'm not worried about this trade like three or four years down the line. But I do think obviously it improves Denver, right? Like they were playing with <laughs> they were playing with garbage quarterbacks the last couple of years. But what is their upside, really? Mass City had them fourth. I think I have them fifth. I think the Chargers are going to be better than them this year. Uh, I think that they have a legitimate shot to be uh, to improve. They should have made the playoffs this year. And then the same teams, Kansas City's better than them. Buffalo's better than them. I think Cincinnati's probably better than them until we see otherwise. So, yeah, I mean, this made a difference. But the AFC's so difficult to compete in. That- Mox, I, I don't – I mean, I, I got to interrupt you here. I mean, Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks we've had in the last 10 years. This might – when you think about the the offense overall, it might be the best offense that he's – that he's ever played with. When you think about Javante Williams, they bring back Melvin Gordon, KJ Hamler, if he can get healthy, uh, Tim Wright, Cortland Sutton, and a healthy Jerry Judy. And then uh, we, I mean, this might be, this might be overall the best offense um, that he's ever played with. And he is, I mean, Russell, it it would not surprise me at all if Russell Wilson played until 40 years old. No, but how many quarterbacks do you think are better than him currently in the AFC? I think there's four, I think there's, a case for four, I think there's legitimately three. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, and then we can have a conversation about Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert. So I'd there's still – yeah, there's Sorry, we're not even talking about Lamar Jackson. That's a good point, yeah. right? Like we're not even having that conversation about Lamar who was hurt the second half of the year. So maybe he's maybe he's fit. That's a good, that's a good point. And, and so, yes, this is a better situation that Denver was in. But there's a lot of hurdles to get over in the AFC. The AFC is a million times better than the NFC right now. The thing that we care about, though, is the fantasy perspective. And, Matthew, I mean, how much do you think that Russell Wilson is going to raise the tide for all the ships there? You got Cortland Sutton. He had 98 targets last year. Noah Fant, 90. Uh, Tim Patrick with 85. Jerry Judy with just 56. Now, Albert Owebucam is going to be the starter there. He had 40 last year. He's going to step into the starting role. I mean, how well do you expect th- this cast to perform next year? Oh, that that I have no doubt he's going to be amazing for, for the Broncos on the fantasy side of things. I mean, he likely will bounce back. I want to say it was three years ago when Pete Carroll allowed the, I think it was Daryl Bevel at the time was still the offensive coordinator, actually allowed Russ, that was the whole let Russ cook campaign and they actually let him throw the ball a ton the beginning half of that season. He was amazing. He was like QB one or two for fantasy. 
And then they started losing a couple games and went right back to running the ball a bunch of playing defense. Nathaniel Hackett, who is now the head coach and is apparently going to be calling plays whenever he's been an offensive coordinator or involved on the offensive side of things, they've thrown the ball 56% of the time. So I expect they're going to come out there and let Russell Wilson cook. I think it helps Javante Williams out a ton because now you cannot just load up the box and try and stop him. And if they bring back Melvin Gordon, Melvin Gordon, you have to not only – give Russ respect in passing ball, but what Russ can do with his legs. So it helps out Javante Williams, and then obviously it helps out Court, Cortland Sutton. He's been their deep threat. Russell Wilson, I think it's fair to say, is the best deep ball thrower in, in the NFL, in my opinion. Now, you can probably put Patrick Mahomes right there, but I think with that beautiful moonshot that he throws, it always hits his guys in stride. Look at what he did for Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I 100% think he can do that for Sutton and Judy, and I don't even love Judy that much as a player, but I think he raises both those guys up. We'll see with Albert O. I, I don't know. My other thing with that is if you also look at Nathaniel Hackett's offenses, granted, never really had to have a good tight end, especially when he was there in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers because they had Devontae Adams and those other wide receivers. They've never really had a very viable fantasy tight end, so I don't know that Albert O is going to do much for, for fantasy, but I think it raises Sutton and Tim Patrick, a guy nobody's talking about. I think Tim Patrick gets a major stock up as well. The the Robert Tanyan slander coming from no relevant tight ends coming from Green Bay. Um, I agree. I agree, though. I, the two years that DK Metcalf has been in the league with Tyler Lockett, they have both finished top 15 at their respective positions. So, like, that's a high ceiling. Just considering how low the passing volume was under Pete Carroll, we're looking at potential two top 15 wide receivers. I think we're looking at two top 25, 20. Yeah. Two top 20 wide receivers between Sutton and Judy. So, I mean, it's happened the last two years and the Seahawks are way less pass happy than I think Denver will be this year. So potentially two wide receiver twos, a potential running back two in Javante Williams, potential running back two in Melvin Gordon. If he returns and Albert, O could absolutely be a tight end one. I mean, am I misreading that? No, I mean, the, the biggest thing that changes for tight ends is, is touchdowns, right? Like, if he gets you four touchdowns, he's likely going to be a tight end one because outside of those top couple guys, it's the, the, the like, 7 to 25 tight ends are only separated typically by, like, 10 or 11 points. Okay. Mox, anything to close it out? No, I'm, I'm – you, you, It looked like you were going to say something. I got no, a, I got a note. I got to know. I got to set the scene, as you would say, Matthew. As as Jarek, as Jarek was having that serious conversation about race, you know, you went off camera and just just your icon with eyebrows and antlers looking at looking at the camera. When Jarek is just yes. trying to have a serious discussion, I, this I, is why I, we can't get anywhere because we're just a silly show. That's that's got, that's why. That's why I got a lot going on over here right now. So I got a lot going on. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have not noticed, all of the Campus to Canton founders have blacked out their Twitter pages, and that's because absolutely, listen to me, absolutely nothing is happening on March 14th, okay? Don't ask about it. There's really nothing to ask about, but nothing is going to happen on March 14th. However, I will tell you this. If you are not a subscriber to the website, you want to be a subscriber to the website, go ahead and get in now, for no reason, really, for no reason, nothing is going to be happening on uh, on March 14th. Check out the YouTube page. Matthew Burning has been, I mean, this 
Matthew Bruning is the Cal Ripken of podcasting. He's now podcasting every day, uploading spring practice reports. He decided to do that. when We can't even get him to be awake for this entire show, so make sure you go check out the shows that he is awake for. Of course, the Fantasy Roundtable and the Spring Practice Report shows on the YouTube page. Subscribe to the YouTube page. And we always appreciate rates and reviews for this podcast, for the Campus to Canton uh, podcast feed. Five-star rates and reviews. That is how you can show uh, your support for this brand, for this company, for everything we're trying to do to bring Campus to Canton, to bring Debbie to more people to, to expand our influence. So we appreciate that. All right, Chris and Matt, we have to talk about the Combine because, Matthew, I mean, we started this show in 2020, in November of 2020, and I think, you know, from the from the word go, we were down on the 2022 class. Were we wrong to do so? Do you have any regret about that following the Combine? Not really because we were down on the class, but we still talked a lot about the guys who performed well. Like we've talked about Brees Hall was going to be, at least I did. I love Corey, who, by the way, we have not mentioned. If you are watching on YouTube, and if you haven't, check it out. Great new intro video that he did uh, for the show. It was amazing. Uh, thank you so much, Corey. He brought it up. We had a whole, yeah, it was a banging video. Thank you very much, Corey. We had a ranking summit last year, which I'm hoping we'll be able to bring back again this year, possibly with some of our other other amazing uh, members of the site. And I got murdered. Now, granted, probably somewhat okay with the fact that because I had Brees Hall over Bijan Robinson, but I kept talking about how much I thought Brees Hall was going to continue to produce. He's done it for three years, goes out there, smashes at the combine, right? Austin's been talking about Traylon Burks for two years. Three, like everybody's talking about Traylon Burks. And I was like, oh, I was number one. Christopher Columbus himself was the first person I remember talking about Traylon Burks. We've been talking about these guys for, for years now. And I think we've been hitting on the right guys. Like Zonovan Knight performing the way he did. He's a guy that I know a couple of you guys have talked about. Maybe we haven't talked about enough. Um, you know, I, I've been propping up Calvin Austin. Tyler Algier performed well. We've highlighted Tyler Algier on this show. Um, you know, uh, Sky Moore. Sky Moore. Yeah. I mean, we've been on Sky Sky Moore from a CFF perspective on this show. So, I mean, let's get some credit. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we've we've underrated it, or it. It's a very good class, I think, at the top. But outside of that, you're probably looking at a lot of like guys who. You'll you'll be able to put in your lineups here and there, but they're not. I don't think it'll be staples in your fantasy lineup. So they're going to be guys you want to draft. They're going to be on your rosters, but I don't think are going to be massive producers for you. So I don't think that we did a bad job covering the class. It's just not as bad as other people have made it, I guess, because we've hit on the right guys. Well, and and uh, Mox, feel free to weigh in on this. Let's talk specifically about about Brees Hall. He has a RAS score of nine point nine five, ninth out of. 1,519 running backs since 1987. That's the year I was born. Do you, you all think that he's on the level of Saquon Barkley, Jonathan Taylor, even LaDainian Tomlinson as a as an athlete? I I was fairly shocked by that number. I I was a skeptic about how athletic he was because that does not that number does not show up on film. I am not a film guy, and I've seen enough Brees Hall to tell you that I was shocked that he was a top 10 running back in terms of Rascor since, like, what did you say? Pretty much all time. I mean, did, yeah. did football exist before 1987? No. So so there we go. And, and 
Corey, who, if we're giving him shout outs tonight, was one, someone who said, hey, like he's a little more athletic than you think he is. But I was surprised by that number. I didn't think he was that athletic. I don't think that shows up on his film. So what, like, it's nice to see that he has that, but I'm not sure it really moves the needle um, to like an elite tier that we're talking about. The Saquon Barclays, the Jonathan Tellers, the Londinian Tomlinson's. Like, I don't think he he's there, but he's definitely solidified himself, I think, as the RB1 in this class. Well, the RB1 in this class, Matthew, do you think he's walking into the NFL as a top three or four uh, running back in Dynasty? No, but five, I would I would listen to an argument on. Uh, he is a guy that I, I've been saying it all. I mean, uh, on the round table, I posted on Twitter, like Brees Hall is the only running back in this class. And Kenneth Walker, amazing season. He was a guy that I've been touting for over a year. Isaiah Spiller, I know he didn't run. I still think he's a good running back. I, I'm not as worried about him not running in the 40 and everything because he's not going to have Brees Hall's speed or whatever that he showed because I do agree with Moxley. He shows it at times on tape. He does have some like 70-yard runs, but he does get caught quite often as well. So it, it's there sometimes, but it's not consistent, I guess is the way I would put it. But he, Brees Hall is the only running back in this class, I believe, regardless of where he goes, is like just a set-it-and-forget-it guy every week in your lineup. But like you know you're putting him in your lineup, and it doesn't matter. Like, you're, okay, I know I'm going to get at least 12 to 14 points from him likely every single week, maybe more if he gets some extra catches and touchdowns. So, yeah, I, Brees Hall, with Christian McCaffrey possibly coming down, Dalvin Cook, we don't know what Saquon Barkley is going to be like. I haven't given up on him, but Giants are talking about trading him, so I think there's an argument to put Brees Hall at least at five. I, I can't put him up above Taylor. I think I have Swift up there still because I believe in Swift. I know I'm trying to remember who the other running backs are now, like I'm going through my head. I still wouldn't put him above CMC, although he could fall down. Would so, you put like, I have at least Najee. That's really the cutoff for me. He's I think a little he's bit older. Isn't Brees Hall, what, yeah, tw yeah. is he 20 or is he 21? He'll be 21 by the time the He'll season be 21. starts. Yeah, but I don't, mm. the age part doesn't matter as much for me. It, uh, that part, I hate to say it, landing spot would probably affect that a little bit for me because even though Pittsburgh's offensive line was not great, he's going to get so much volume, and I think he might get even more dump-off passes if, if Mason Rudolph or – God forbid Dwayne Haskins is the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, like, I think Najee is going to smash regardless. So it kind of depends on where Brees goes. But uh, he's right there, yeah. I would argue he's within that range right there. He He's right. my dynasty RB4 as of right now. I'm right okay. there. I'm right there with you. I think there's a case for him to be RB5, and the only uh, guys I'm having him above are young guys. So it, it, Let me ask this question because, I, you know, I made a big statement a year ago and making Brees Hall my RB6. But if he was in college right now, wouldn't you still have him ranked behind Jameer Gibbs, Bijan Robinson, Travion Henderson at the very least? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, mean, I think so. If looking okay. at my ranks now, he would actually probably be six. Right now, my four and five are Nicholas Singleton and Will Shipley. I'd probably put him behind both of those. And Singleton, I think I'm taking. You have Singleton where? Four. I believe in Singleton. Four in, as my season. I, I, I thought I'd be high at like eight or nine. Nah, you gotta, I, gotta oh, I gotta move him up. Okay. So, right. like, I would Zach Evans comes in at six for me. I'd feel comfortable putting Brees above Zach. So that's kind of where I would be. But again, that's. 
I think the issue with it last year was you had him, and and I will give you 100% credit, you had Isaiah Spiller ahead of him, and you've kind of come around differently on your, your opinion on Isaiah Spiller yeah. from that point. So that's, I think, where our biggest issue came from, was like you're putting him all the way down there. Now, I'll also give you props on, you had him below Jameer Gibbs, where a lot of us didn't. We saw what Gibbs did in that second season, and now he's probably going to smash even more at Alabama. So, uh, Yeah, I did do a video on Isaiah Spiller and just kind of uh, – that's on the Dynasty Nerds Film Room uh, YouTube page, so you can check that out. And I just was not impressed with the type of runner runner he was as a as a bigger athlete. He wasn't very physical. So, uh, uh, and and we just recorded or just here recently recorded the same um, uh, show for Brees Hall. So that's going to be released here soon on the Dynasty Nerds YouTube page. So, all right, we talked about who did well, Chris. Isaiah Spiller did not do well, the aforementioned Isaiah Spiller. A vertical jump of 30 inches, broad jump of just 114. Is he still a day two prospect? And Kenneth Walker or Isaiah Spiller? So he's still a day two prospect, for sure. Um, he, I think he, you know, I've been reading a bunch of NFL media takes post-combine and like Brugler, Warren Sharp, got guys who know a little bit about what the league is thinking. He's still the RB3. He still exists in that spot as of now. But he definitely hurt his stock with his his burst score. So how burst score is generally calculated is a 50-50 weight of vertical jump and uh, the broad jump. Both categories he performed poor in. So for his size, he had a 7th percentile burst score. That is 7 out of 100 that is incredibly poor and for a running back you want to see a lot better than that and so you know i was a guy who had isaiah spiller rb1 in the class up till maybe a month ago and i i am no longer there i have kenneth walker above him kenneth walker impressed me coming in at 211 i was worried about his size because michigan state generally lists their running backs overweight uh based on a bunch of data that i've done historically they generally weigh them like they list them five pounds above where they're at. I'm happy that he came in at 211. Um, and I I think I have him in my RB2. Like, I'm really worried about Isaiah Spiller right now. I'm going to be honest with you. I There's a lot of negative feed, feedback on, on him as a prospect. It, it, it's going to come down to, it's going to come down to draft capital for these guys. Um, Probably, yeah. Brees Hall might have launched himself into the first round. Isaiah Spiller, Kenneth Walker, those are the next guys. I have no idea who the RB four is going to be and if there's going to be more Rashad than- White. It's going to be your guy Rashad White. Yeah, I really think so. I I hate to do that because I don't need Petty Felix to show up today without Austin here to help me out, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be Shoot Rashad from White. deep! Boy, your boy is shooting from deep! Uh, okay. Alright. Uh, no, I'm not going to gloat. We've, I'm been out. We've been out here. And I and I was not on the show last week, so I'm, I'm trying to uh, get, out, uh, get, get, get a little bit of this out. Um, okay. Let's do two questions for Debbie Debates. Boys, are we ready for the Debbie Debates? Born ready. Chris Moxley, I'm going to throw this to you because Matthew already kind of answered this question because I'm bad at producing this show. Trading out of the – true or false, trading out of the 2022 class is or was a mistake? True or false? It was not a mistake. So, true. There Elaborate. is – Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think – the combine didn't move the needle at all. And I think we see high end producers. I think there's a handful in this class. I think Reese Hall is one. 
Kenneth Walker's potentially one. I think we have three, maybe four wide receivers. We don't really have a tight end because Trey McBride is tiny and not super athletic. It's a shallow class. It it really is. So there's some high-end producers, but I think it's more akin to the 2019 class than it is anything else we've seen, which was the Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery class. I think Brees Hall, Kenneth Walker, Isaiah Spiller compares similarly to them. And then, you know, we had AJ Brown at wide receiver, but it was Nikhil Harry, JJ Arcega-Whiteside, Marquise Brown, a bunch of like replaceable guys for your, for your fantasy squad. And so I think that's kind of where we're sitting. I think that it was a good decision, especially if you were trading out of 2022 to get 2023 first, which I think we've been recommending on here for shoes. As long as episode one of, and we're on episode 76. So that's, that's, I think where where we're at. Pretty much. And let me just say that, I think it depends on where those draft picks are. I still believe that it was the right move to trade out of 2022. But that being said, there are some players that I want in this class. I want um, Garrett Wilson. I want Sky Moore. I want uh, um, Brees Hall. I want Wandell Robinson, who's a value. I want Rashad White, quite frankly. I mean, I could probably trade him to the second round to get Sky Moore to get Rashad White. So it depends on where you had those picks. Now, I, I think that trading them before being on the clock was probably a mistake because I think the consensus is, oh, this is one of the most athletic classes ever. You know, I, I think that the consensus out there is, oh, you should have been in 2022 and that people like us who said to fade 2022 that we're wrong. So you may have been able to extract more value had you just waited until you're on the clock, at least for the first, you know, four or five picks. But there's not a quarterback one. There's not a quarterback one. There's barely a running back two. So I still agree that 2022, uh, the correct move was to fade. Second question here. Matthew, true or false? Stop down on Traylon Burks following just a a 4.55 40-yard dash and a 33-inch vertical jump. Negative. I still think that he produced well for his size. That I, he was not going to go out there and run a four-two-eight or whatever Taekwon Thornton ran. Like his speed is evident on tape. And and if you watch, and I believe it's the Alabama game, if I'm remembering correctly, he gets a screen pass behind the line of scrimmage on like the twenty-yard line, and then proceeds to take it eighty yards past the entire Alabama defense and outrunning them, leaving most of those guys like 5, 10 yards behind him. It's evident on tape he's raw. We've talked about that before, right? Like we know Garrett Wilson is a is a more pristine route runner, better wide receiver prospect right now. Drake London, I think you could argue that. Chris Olave is a better route runner. But at the end of the day, I still think Traylon Burks has the highest upside of this class. And no, I have no issues with it. I'm going to give uh, – I know Ray Garvin's brought it up, and then our guy, David – uh, you can find him at Solving Football Posted, I think it was yesterday, that he compares very favorably to Josh Gordon coming out of out of college. And we know what Josh Gordon could have been had he not had some of the issues with, uh, with addiction that he had off the field. Dude was an absolute monster with Cleveland. And I, it wasn't Brandon Whedon. God forgive me. I don't remember who the horrible quarterback was we had at that point in time. But it was a bad quarterback. He was... It wasn't Brian Horry the Destroyer either. And for life of me, I can't remember who it is now. He took us almost to the playoff. We went, we had that was like our last winning season before Baker showed up. We were ten and six. And Derek Anderson, was it, that's was it. it was Derek, Derek Anderson? Anderson. I was yeah. just about to say oh, it was Derek Anderson. Yeah, Derek Anderson. So yeah, Traylon Burks. I think 
wherever coaching is going to matter, right? Because he is still a little bit raw, but I, I am not fading him one bit. He's still my wide receiver one very just slightly ahead of Garrett Wilson. I'm still all in on Burks. I, I am right there with you. Um, and big wide receiver guy and solving football have both talked about this. David and David and Matt, who are, are associated with us and do excellent job with some of this video analysis in terms of miles per hour. They're on our team. They're, oh, they're yeah. more than associates. They are on our team. They are, they are the best. And they, they clocked him at 22.6 miles per hour, which basically converts to like a four, two ish speed. It takes Burke's time to ramp up. Like this is a big dude. When he's coming downhill, he's like a freight train rolling. You do not want to get in his way. The only loser out of Burke's combine, in my opinion, is this weird story, which I don't even know how it got started about how he has like five XL gloves and his hands like can't fit in normal gloves. This dude's his hands are smaller than Sky Moore, and Sky's more like like five ten. Like what? Is, what is that story? But realistically, I'm not moving off of Burks because his speed score for his size at 225 is still 87th percentile. And yeah, like his explosiveness in terms of the broad jump and the bird are, are questions, but that's not really his game. His game is like build up speed and then separate deep. That's what he'll be using the NFL. I'm not moving off of him because it didn't tell me anything that I didn't know. Maybe I thought he was going to run a 4-4, but... Whatever, we're still dealing with an 87th percentile speed score. So, whatever. I hate our wide receiver one. I'm not overreacting. I don't know that my wide receiver rankings changed at all based on the combine. Um, I mean, do people really think that four five five is not fast when you're 220 pounds? I mean, apparently get out of so. here. With apparently that. so. Get out. I will. I will. Add, someone did fall down my ranks a little bit at wide receiver. Someone you mentioned, and I saw it- Chris's face as well. So I'm curious as to why Wandale. The yeah. fact that he oh, came in super, so small, that's oh, yeah. I didn't move him down far. I think he was like 11 for me, so I dropped him down to like 13 or 14. But the fact that he was listed, I think, on, on Kentucky's website, it was like 5, 10, or 11. He came in at, what was it, 5, 8, 178? Like, three, three I know I've been preaching. Seven pounds lighter. I know I've been preaching that stuff with Calvin Austin, and they've they've gone toward drafting these smaller guys, but I think Calvin Austin's more athletic and explosive, so I think Austin's going to get better draft capital now than Wandell. So I actually don't think you'd have to trade up to the second to get him like you were talking about. Fix. You could probably get Wandell in the third now because it seems everybody's fading him. He's the only one that fell a little bit for me because he tested a little bit and came in more than I thought, less than what I thought he was going to be. Yeah. See, I've, I've always thought of Wandell as a um, Cole Beasley – Doug Martin type that is going to be drafted like late day two, early day three anyway. But I still like his skill set. I mean, he's got the quick twitch separation ability to be a slot wide receiver, be a, a high volume guy. That Nothing really changed about that. I mean, we saw the picture of him and Rondell Moore standing next to each other. We're like, all right, they're going to be the same size. Rondell Moore is drafted in the second round. As long as he gets the draft capital, I don't. I personally don't think that it's going to matter that much. Now, he may become a value. Like you said, Matthew, you may be able to get him uh, a little bit later in drafts. It, it depends where you had him ranked because I had him as like a top six guy. And I, I'm moving him way down uh, just because uh, he came in three inches smaller. And his 40, he ran a 444, which at his size is a 23rd percentile speed score. The, his 34 inch vert isn't really going to cut it. Like he is a 32nd percentile burst. Like we didn't get any, we didn't get any of his agility testing. So I don't know how that matters. That matters a lot more for the role I think he's going to be using in the NFL. 
So I'm really curious to see what he does at Kentucky's pro day, because I think that's going to tell us maybe a little bit more about his true athleticism. But I, I, I was discouraged by his size at five, eight, and I was discouraged by his testing because he did not live up to the expectations that it maybe I had. Well, you're going to have to turn into the tune into the after show. So I can explain why I disagree with both you and Mike Valerie, who's in the comments. Um, uh, chirping it up, saying that he he didn't test well. Uh, I don't have a problem with Wandell's testing. All right, that is going to be our show. Make sure you check out all of the content around the campus to Canton family. That includes the YouTube page. That includes the podcast feed. We are at the point, I, I need to count how many hours of content we are producing on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Stay tuned in with Campus to Canton. We, we really got you, uh, we got you covered here. Um you can find this podcast on the Campus to Canton channel along with Canton Bound, Campus Life Fantasy Roundtable. Uh, the Future Freshman podcast that Brandon is doing. I need to update this show sheet. All right, Chasing so check out everything. Every Monday. Chasing the Natty on Mondays. Yes, I, I, I need to update this thing because we've got a lot of stuff going on. All right, but that's going to be our show for tonight. Apologies to Kirk Street. We ran out of time for Chris Moxley and Matt Bruning. I'm Felix Sharp. Good night. and. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks at the end zone. Hunter up, caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro. And Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. Freshman. Backed up Made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. Goodbye. Touchdown, Ohio State. From 52 yards.